We're in our series called Mastermind, and it's all about the reality that if you can change your thinking, you can change your life. And throughout this series, we're looking at the mind, and we're looking at the teachings the Apostle Paul gave about the mind. What do we know about the mind? We know that our thoughts are incredibly powerful. We know that there's often a war going on in our lives, and those wars and those battles are often won or lost in the mind. We know that what comes into your mind will generally come out in your life, and we know that it's almost impossible to live a positive life when you're consumed with negative thoughts. We learned last week that if you don't change the way you think, you won't be able to change the way you live. You won't be able to change what you do. Our thoughts matter. And our whole key section from the Bible, from the Apostle Paul in this series is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's on your outlines and I just wanna revisit these verses to set the tone for our message today. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, though we're living in physical bodies in a physical world, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't battle with things in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So when we belong to Jesus, we're given these weapons by the Holy Spirit, which give us power to crush, to vanquish, to demolish these wrong patterns of thinking that hold us hostage in life. So how do these supernatural weapons work? By, if we keep reading, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So any argument, any thought that is different to what God says in his word, we tear it down using these supernatural weapons. So what's our part? How do we activate, how do we use these weapons? Paul says by bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So instead of just letting our thoughts run wild and be like, oh, I guess that's what I'm thinking, must be true, must be likely to happen, instead we actually grab our thoughts and say, wait a minute, is this true? Is this what God says is true about me? And if it's not, we say, you gotta change thought, we're not going down that path. And through doing that, we take our thoughts captive and we force them to obey Jesus and what he says in his word. If you've been with us these past two weeks, you know that we've talked about the power of the brain that God created in each of us. For centuries, people thought that the brain was essentially fixed after adolescence. We know now that that's not true. The brain continues to evolve, and a large part of that takes place through the creation of what we call neural pathways. What's a neural pathway? Well, essentially, the more we think a thought, the more we create a smooth pathway for our mind to travel down and think that thought again. So in other words, the more we think a thought, the easier it becomes to think that thought again next time till you start doing it automatically. Now that's good news. If you're thinking about things that are good and pure and lovely and excellent and admirable and praiseworthy, as the Apostle Paul would say, the problem is, for 99.99999% of us, 99.99999% of the time, we don't think about those kinds of things. And so when we do that, when we think about wrong things, we make it easier for our mind to think about wrong things again. We compound the problem exponentially. The more negative thoughts we think, the easier it is to think negative thoughts. 
And so today I want to introduce to you another idea that's been helpful to me, and it's the idea of cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. So what is cognitive bias? We could also call it a, a mental filter or a mental framework, but a simple definition is this, and you can put this in on your outlines. Cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning caused by personal preferences or beliefs. It's a mistake in reasoning when you don't reason rationally and it's caused by our personal preferences or beliefs. So in other words, if we have a cognitive bias, we have a mental filter or a mental framework that's not necessarily accurate. Our wrong thought process or our wrong belief causes us to make mistakes or errors in judgment. It's sort of like the shock you get, I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, where you get a new pair of glasses or your first pair of glasses and they have a correct prescription in them finally and you put them on and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, good Lord, something is horribly wrong. I look way better than this normally and it's, it's shocking. And then you have the horrific realization that you've essentially been looking at yourself with a slight flattering blur on all the time, like a real life airbrush every time you looked in the mirror because you literally weren't seeing clearly. You're like, I don't like these glasses. These don't, I'm going to put on my old ones. There's that handsome devil again. There we go. So <laughs> sometimes it's a benefit to not see things clearly in the case of looking at yourself in a mirror with glasses, but it's not really a benefit when it comes to real life to not see things accurately and as they are. If we have a wrong framework or, or wrong mental filters, they distort or discolor how we see the world. And so we end up with this cognitive bias that causes us to make wrong decisions and wrong assumptions and bad judgments because we have these glasses on, this filter, this frame that we see the world through that distorts everything, everything. Because of personal beliefs that may not be true, we're also biased in a certain direction and that can lead to all sorts of problems in life. This is why different people respond in different ways to the exact same situation. Have you ever noticed that? You can have the same situation, the same environment, the same variables and yet two totally different responses from people. It's not the facts that are different, it's the filters that are different. Let me say that again. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filters that are different. For example, you might see this at your workplace. You have a boss or a supervisor and they sit down with two different people to give them just a, a little bit of a on-the-job performance review. Not a major one, but just a little check-in and give them feedback. Both of them the exact same way, but those two people react completely differently. The first person gets all offended and says, you want to come in here? Tell me how to do my job. How dare you? I, I, I couldn't help noticing that you're actually not so perfect yourself. And they get, they get all defensive like that. Second person, exact same situation. Exact same person. All the same variables. But they say, oh, you know, thank you so much for coming to me directly and telling me this. I'd, I'd so much rather get the feedback directly than just find out one day that I haven't been doing a good job for years. So thanks for bringing this to my attention. It's going to help me do a better job in the future. Same situation. It's, it's not the facts that are different. What is it? It's the filter. It's the filter that they're seeing the world and people through. There may be two people sitting side by side in a church service and one person is saying, 
I'm not really going to get anything out of this, but, you know, I've got this nagging guilt that I guess comes from God that I'm supposed to go to church, so let's go check the box off, and I still love Jesus. The chances of that person having a good experience in church are, are really, really low, especially compared to the person who walks in and says, you know, I just know God's got something that he wants to say to me today. He's got something. He said in his word that church is important. We shouldn't miss it. And so I know that he's going to do something good in me. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to encourage me. That person is almost guaranteed to have a good experience in church and to receive from God. It's not the facts that are different. They're in the same church service. But one of them is hearing from God and the other one is like, oh, man. It's not the facts that are different. It's the filter. So write this down. How we respond to situations is determined by our filters even more than the facts. It's determined by our filters even more than the facts. And you've seen this. You all know people who believe everyone is against them, nobody likes them, and they go into situation after situation, and they come out and they say, well, yet again, nobody likes me. No one was friendly to me. And yet they were in a room full of friendly people. It's just that they came in with that mindset and then stood in the room like this. And they go out. See, I told you, everyone is unfriendly. And it's like, well, this is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You had this filter. You went in looking for this. And lo and behold, you, you found what you were looking for. This can even impact our relationship with God. In fact, studies show that your relationship with your earthly father can have a huge impact on how you perceive your heavenly father. In other words, those of you who were blessed with a, a good dad who was compassionate and involved in your life will, will find it easier to view God as being a good God who's full of compassion that cares about the details of your life that is there for you. As opposed to someone else who had an earthly father who was maybe distant or abusive or cold or demanding or judgmental or legalistic, if you had a, an earthly father like that, it's generally much more difficult to view your heavenly father as loving and caring and involved. And when you find someone who had an earthly father like that, you usually find that they became a believer, but it was years before it really clicked that their heavenly father was good because they had to undo all this programming in their mind about what a father was like. Side note, that's one of the biggest reasons it matters so much that we take fatherhood seriously as men in the church. We are making it easier or more difficult for our children to believe in a good and loving heavenly father. It's not the facts about our heavenly father that's different. He is good, but the filter is different in different people. Last week we talked about one of the disciplines I've been doing in order to change my thinking because as much as I don't want to disappoint you, even though I'm your pastor, I battle with negative thoughts all the time. I battle with believing things about me that are not true and about my life. So last week I shared about meditating on truth a little bit and this week I want to talk to you about another tool and then next week we'll talk about the prayer component of the mind and how those relate to each other. But today I want to talk about something called reframing reframing everybody say reframing reframing that's good we're gonna we're gonna talk about picking a different frame today so what is reframing reframing is this you can write it down and we'll unpack it reframing is simply creating a different way of looking at a situation person or relationship by changing its meaning 
Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation, person, or relationship by changing its meaning. It's a little bit like that, that kid that used to love playing baseball and the kid would walk around saying, I am the greatest hitter who's ever lived. And the kid went into his backyard, picked up a ball, threw it in the air, swung his bat as hard as he could, got nothing but air, missed it completely. So he said, you know what? Everybody misses. I'm still the greatest hitter of all time. Picks up the ball, second time, throws it in the air to himself, swings, completely misses again. He says, I'm still the greatest hitter who ever lived. Picks up the ball, throws it a third time, swings, nothing but air again. And he says, wow, I had no idea. I am also the greatest pitcher that ever lived because I just struck out the greatest hitter who's ever lived. I'm great at everything. Reframing is simply about changing the way we look at something by changing the meaning. It's also called perceptual accentuation. It's called cognitive restructuring, or if you like me, you can just call it thinking different, thinking different. It's reframing the situation. So let me illustrate it this way. You wake up the beginning of your day, and what kind of day are you going to have? Is it going to be a, a great day, an average day, or a pathetic day? What kind of day are we going to have? And the answer is, it probably depends on how we frame it. Some of us have a negative framework. We have a negative filter. This day is going to be bad. I got to go be around those people. I hate being around those people. They're just, they're such a pain in the, oh, you know what, to be around and I hate going to these things and the stuff sort of never works out. It's a waste of time. Every time I try to do something, it doesn't work out. I just know that's how today's going to go. God's not with me. Life's bad. One more day of things getting worse. What kind of day are you going to have? Depends on how you frame it. God is with me. God is good. I can sense his presence. I love being here. Some of these people are kind of weird, but I can see the good in them. God wants to use me to minister to them. I'm going to choose to believe the best wherever I go today. What kind of day are you going to have? Depends on how you frame it. And we need to understand this. Write this down. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. And if there's anyone who was great at reframing, it was the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you know his story, he had a very strategic prayer plan. He had been praying for a long time, God, help me get to Rome. I want to go to Rome. I want to preach the gospel to the masses in Rome and reach the leaders in Rome because if we can get Rome, the center of the world, we can reach the whole world from there. Finally, Paul makes it to Rome, but he doesn't make it there to preach the gospel. Instead, he ends up in Rome as a prisoner. He's locked up under house arrest, chained to Roman guards, gets a new one every eight hours, and he's awaiting possible execution. He knows that. What he wanted was not what happened. How did he frame the situation? Some of you, this is where you are right now. You thought to yourself, you know, if I get that degree, then I'll get that job, and life will just happen, but that's not what happened. You didn't end up even in that field and now you're in a job that you're way overqualified for and you're like, God, where are you? What, what happened? You thought, I'm gonna marry my sweetheart. It's gonna be amazing. You married your sweetheart and it wasn't amazing. God, where are you? You wake up one day and you thought, you know, 
by this age, I really thought I'd be there and doing that and have that, but I'm here and I'm doing this and I don't get it. This is where Paul was. He said, this isn't what I want, but this is what's happening. I wanted to preach the gospel and instead I'm a prisoner. What kind of day are you going to have? You can't determine what happens to you, but you can determine how you frame it. Let me show you what Paul could have said. He didn't say it, but he could have said it. And if he would have said it, this would have been in Philippians 1, 12 and 13 in the NWV. It's a very, uh, very popular version of the Bible, the NWV. It's the New Winers version, if you haven't heard of it. And Paul could have said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. That's what he could have said. Or he could have said, as a result of what I'm going through, I'm shutting down my ministry, we're closing all the small groups, and uh, I'm never going back to church again. That's what he could have said, but it's not what he said. For those of you that may be new to the church world, just want you to know there's no NWV. Don't go looking for it in case you were like, I feel like I'd really connect with that. It's, it's a fictional, fictional translation. This is what Paul actually said in Philippians 1, 12 and 13. It should be on your outlines. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, now watch this. He says, I know a lot of people are looking at me and saying, things are bad. Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but now he's just a prisoner. Can't control what happens to me, but I can control how it's framed. He says, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Paul says, God's doing something. Even though the situation looks bad to everyone from the outside, it looks like I'm their prisoner, but guess what? They're actually chained to me for eight hours at a time, and so I've been preaching to these guys. Whether they want to hear it or not, these influential members of the palace guard, and guess what's happening? They're starting to turn to Jesus. There's ministry happening in this prison. And then in the next verse, in verse 14, Paul goes on to share another benefit of him being in prison. He says, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, here's what else is happening. In all the churches that I planted, that I write to, that I love, people who were scared because of persecution are now being filled with boldness because they see me in prison and they see that my faith isn't shaken and God's still working through me in prison. And so now their confidence in God is increased. Paul says, a lot of people are saying I'm in a bad situation, but I need to tell you, when I look at things through my God frame, my God lens, it's clear that God's doing something good. I can see that God is still working, God is still moving, God is still active in my life. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. So how do we live this out when our thoughts so often just drift toward the negative, the critical, the discouraging, and the self-defeating. I wanna give you three principles that I'm working on in my life to reframe relationships and situations and, and my story. The first thing is this. When things are really, really bad, it's a bad day. I don't like what's going on. One of the most practical tools is to actually write this down. Thank God for what didn't happen. 
Thank God for what didn't happen. Maybe something unpleasant did happen, but there are a lot of things worse that did not happen. And I can thank God for what didn't happen. For example, there's a story of the college girl who sat down and told her parents, guys, I need to have a real serious conversation with you as soon as I get home. And she was driving home at the end of the semester. So she drove home from university, sat in her parents' living room, and she said, Mom, Dad, just, just sit down. I need to be honest with you. I need to be honest. I, I went out to a bar a couple of weeks ago, and, and I was drunk, and I went back with a guy, and I, I did some things, and now I'm, I'm pregnant with twins. But, but there is good news. He's going to be off of probation in a year. And, and once he's out of rehab, he plans to get a job. And, and since he's not able to work right now, he, he's living with me and we can't get married because he doesn't have a job, but we're going to try and raise these babies together. And so mom and dad are just jaws, dropped to the floor. And then she said, I want you guys to know nothing I told you is true. The truth is I got a D in chemistry, but I want you to know things could have been a lot worse. <laughs> See, sometimes you just got to thank God for what didn't happen, get a little bit of perspective, and suddenly it doesn't seem so bad. You didn't get the project in on time, so you're not going to get your bonus. But you know what? Thank God you didn't lose your job. You still have a job. You're still employed. You get in a car wreck. Oh, this is going to be such an annoying process. It's going to cost money. It's going to take time. I've got to deal with insurance and repairs. Well, well, thank God you're alive. Thank God you didn't get hurt. Your flight is delayed again. The, the plane is broken somehow. Listen, when the plane is broken, I would rather be on the ground wanting to be up there than be up there wanting to be down there when the plane is broken. It's all about your perspective. And sometimes you just need to thank God for what didn't happen, what didn't happen. And this really is true. We found in our own life, you, you think this way, we can have a blown out tire on the way to vacation or something. Oh, can you believe our bad luck? And the thing that I genuinely believe is, listen, you don't know. You don't know if we hadn't got this blown out tire, we might have had an accident in the next minute further down the road and God just saved all of our lives. You don't know. But here's what I know. I know when we get to heaven, God's going to have some sort of thing, some sort of video mega mix, some sort of book. He's going to be like, here's all the times I was looking out for you that you didn't even know about. And most of these, by the way, you were complaining. Oh, right. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank God for what didn't happen. The next thing you can do that I'm working on, write this down, is you can practice pre-framing. Pre-framing. Your filters, your frame determines how you see the world, how you feel, and often what you do. And what I want to do is I want to choose how I'm going to frame the event before I get into the event. Instead of getting there and letting my default frame take over, which is usually negative, causing me to interpret what might actually be positive as negative, I want to pre-frame it with the right frame. I'm going to choose the right frame ahead of time. If you're someone who feels like you always crack under pressure, you need to start telling yourself that you actually work great under pressure. You do well under pressure. You get in the zone like at no other time. In fact, all the times that you've cracked under pressure in the past were just experienced, so now you know how to handle it next time it comes. But you have to decide beforehand how you're going to pre-frame the event if you want to start breaking the negative cycle. And as with all things, this isn't just stirring up blind hope in our own abilities. 
We're not trying to pretend that we can magically change ourselves by just saying some magic words. I'm suddenly a great performer. I suddenly don't get stressed when I'm under pressure. What we're saying is I'm confident because my God is with me. My God is for me, so I'm going to start acting like it. Next time I get in that situation, I believe God's going to give me what I need to do well in that situation. When it comes with, to talking to people about Jesus, maybe right now you're like, God, I know this person really needs you and I'm asking you, please send someone else, anyone else. Please don't let them ask me what I think about you, God. Please don't let them ask why there's so much evil in the world. I just know I'm gonna mess up the answer to that question. Lord, do something good. Have them ask anybody else. Because you should have no confidence in your ability. But you should be confident in God. You should be confident that he'll use you and give you the words to say. So you begin to pray. You begin to think in a way that pre-frames the situation. And you begin to say, God, please give me an opportunity to be used by you. To share you, to share your love, to share your word, to share the gospel with someone today. Put me in that situation, God, because I believe you want to use me to do something. So you pre-frame it. This becomes something you talk about and think about as though you're looking forward to it because your confidence is in the Lord. And some of us need to pick a new frame. Need to stop believing lies from the past. We need to reframe situations and relationships and we need to pre-frame them before you go into the situation. Tell yourself that your God is good, your God is with you, he will help you succeed. Choose the frame ahead of time. Even in relationships, your spouse comes to you and says, we need to talk about something. How many of you, if you're honest, the internal dialogue is, ah, come on. You know what? You had two people who started becoming a little bit different and they never spoke about it. And when they finally did, they were so far apart, the gap was so big, they had no idea how to bridge it. And so now when your spouse comes to you, you begin to say, man, I'm so, so thankful that we have a relationship where we actually talk about things before they reach disaster level. And so we can actually have a conversation now rather than me having to wonder if one day I'm gonna wake up and my spouse is gonna say, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. It's all about thinking through how you're going to pre-frame it, how you're going to pre-frame the situation that drives you crazy right now, that you don't enjoy. Here's what I can promise you. Here's what I can promise you. If you want to see the bad, you'll find the bad. In fact, this is our third thing. Write this down. Look for God's goodness. This is what we're going to do. We're going to look for God's goodness. Because if you want to find the negative, you will find the negative in anything. If you want to be critical, you can pick apart any organization, any church, any person, any group, anybody, if you want to. If that's what you want, then you can just be like the rest of the world that's jaded, mostly negative, critical, has bad relationships, and tends to lean toward that which is negative rather than that which is good. Or on the other hand, you can choose to look and see where God is working. And if you look for God working, you will find God working. If you want to look for the good in people, you'll find the good. And your relationships will change. Your attitude will change. Your perspective will change. Your impact will change because you'll find what you're looking for. It's called cognitive reframing. It's reframing. It's interpreting your circumstances 
based on the truth of God's word rather than your own personal biases or your own personal ideas. And a good counselor will tell you this. They'll tell you that you determine the meaning of what happens to you. You determine the meaning. So for us as Christians, we are to let Jesus and his word determine the meaning of the things that happen to us. We're to let Jesus determine the meaning. It's a lot like the difference between two types of birds. You can take a vulture, you can take a hummingbird. What do vultures find? Dead stuff, carcasses, roadkill. Why? Because that's what they look for. That's what they look for. What do hummingbirds find? Nectar and sweet things. Why? Because that's what they're looking for. And you and I will find what we're looking for. If we look for the goodness of God, we'll begin to see it everywhere, everywhere. If you look for things to complain about, you will find things everywhere to complain about. Let Jesus help you determine the meaning of the things that are happening to you. I've shared this story before, but Charlene and I have been through some things in life that have cemented the goodness of God in us in the way that we see the world. I mean that no matter what, we are convinced that God is doing good for those who love him. Genuinely convinced. And the thing that we've learned is that it can take a long time for that good to be revealed, but it will. It will. Guarantee it. And so the question is, Will you believe that God is doing something good even when things seem to be going bad? Charlene and I were, were living in the States and we had applied for permanent residency. It was supposed to take six to 12 months. It had been three years, three years. And we would pray with our kids at dinner every night. Lord, please help our paperwork to come through. Because I thought, this is, this is great parenting. We'll pray with our kids, then it'll happen, and they'll be like, yay, God answered our prayers. Three years go by, three years. We couldn't leave the country because we had no paperwork to show that we were allowed to come back in. And the process just dragged on and on. We're serving at this church we loved, it was fruitful. So we couldn't figure out, what's the holdup, God? We're obviously meant to be here. And so finally the government comes to us and they say, hey, one of the last things you need to do, you need to go have medical exams uh, because you're close to the end of your process. So we have them. More time passes. No word. Then we hear from the government again. Uh, yeah, you need to go get medical exams again because so much time has passed since you got your last medical exams. The results are no longer valid. We're like, oh my gosh. And so this time we're not even allowed to go back to the same doctors for our exams. We have this list that they give you, choose a doctor from this list. We've already gone to our regular doctors. We gotta go, both of us, to different doctors. And so to make a long story short, Charlene's doctor makes some discoveries that lead to Charlene being diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so here's the thing, they caught it really early. They were able to operate. It was a complete success. She's completely cancer-free. But I can't explain to you how it blew our minds when we realized that if our immigration paperwork hadn't been held up for years, if our first medical exams hadn't been allowed to expire, Charlene never would have ended up at a different doctor who checked some different things to her normal doctor that resulted in the cancer being detected early, got her to the doctor at the exact time when it was developed enough to be detected, but not so far developed that it would do significant damage. That had to happen. God had to do it that way. It blew our minds when we realized God was listening the whole time. 
The whole time, the whole time God was working when we thought there was just silence on the other end of our prayers. Just because life is not good right now doesn't mean that God is not good. He's still involved, he still cares. He'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Even in the dark times, even when we're waiting, we can still praise him because no matter what our circumstances are like, God is still good. And so I wanna challenge you and ask you tonight, what is your frame like? How do you see the world? How do you view your life and your people and your relationships? Do you believe that God is good or are you not sure? Are you looking for the goodness of God or are you looking for things to complain about? What's your Monday gonna be like tomorrow when you get up? How are you gonna frame it? There's incredible power in how you frame your life and the more your frame lines up with the word of God, the more you're gonna find purpose and joy and meaning in your life as you get in agreement with God. You can't control what happens to you. Can't control it, but you can control how you frame it. You can control how you frame it. With that, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's pray together. Father, help us to renew our minds with the truth. Help us to renew our minds, Lord. And if you're here this evening and and you're just recognizing, I need God to do some, some work in me to change my my frame, the way I perceive my life in the world. Maybe there's some specific things that you're just struggling with the burden and the weight of them right now. Would you ask God to give you a new perspective, to give you a new mind, to see those things the way that he sees them, to have faith that he's doing something good because he always is. Would you just ask him right now if you need him to do that in you and just allow his spirit to begin to work on you. Bible says cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So make sure that you're not carrying anything today that God has asked you to cast on him, to leave at his feet. You leave that burden with him and you just thank him for his promises that he's good, that he's with you. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you. God, I pray that according to your word, we would not be conformed to the patterns of this world in our thinking, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by your word and by your spirit. We thank you that the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. They have divine power through your spirit to demolish, to vanquish, to bring down our wrong patterns of thinking. So God, help us to restructure our thoughts. God, not to just choose the meaning based on the way our minds go, but to let you and your spirit and your word define the meaning of the things that happen to us. Empower us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to you, Lord, so that we can live lives of faith, so that no matter what happens to us, we're aware of your goodness and your blessings and your work in our life, Lord. Thank you that because of what your word says, we have a reason for hope this evening, no matter what's going on in life. We have a reason to believe that you're doing good in every area of our lives. So Father, even those places that seem hopeless, those situations that seem hopeless, God, we wanna be open to you changing the way that we perceive them. Jesus, we wanna let you decide what the meaning is rather than us. We leave those things in your hand this evening, Lord, and ask you to renew our minds. 
Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.